hey, we're excited that you're here today. On that same note with technology, one thing that's really cool about this series called Carols is that we have devotions that go along with this series. Uh, this series was inspired out of a series that Life Church did in 2011, several years ago, uh, but they wrote devos. And so uh, we're going to use those devos as a church together, along with our Paul David Tripp New Morning Mercies that we've been um, reading together this year. But uh, just as an extra one for the Christmas season, I thought it'd be awesome if we could do that. So if you have the Bible app and you know what that is, you can actually go in there, go into the reading plans and do a search and search carols, and you'll have 25 days of devotion starting today. So December 1 through December 25, uh, we invite you to follow along that way. Uh, I use the Bible app. I do devos in there a lot, read a lot of scripture in there. Uh, so it's a great way to connect that way. Now, if you're one of those and you're, you're old school and you're like, I don't have a smartphone, I have a dumb phone, and, and I like it that way, that's fine. Um, and we, we have made it available in paper copy for you. So right after the service, if you'll head out to uh, this lobby um, over here uh, to the east, there are paper copies available of that devotion for you. We'd love for everybody to be doing this together. Every day talks about a different Christmas carol and ties that into scripture and a, and a message uh, that'll keep you thinking, uh, keep your mind every day set to uh, Christ this Christmas season. So we invite you to, to join us that way. It's going to be a great, great time and a great, great series. And as we go throughout this series, we're, over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at a different Christmas song. And today is one that you may have heard of. It might be a, a favorite. It's been around a long time. It's the Christmas song, O Holy Night. Anyone ever heard of O Holy Night? Anyone? All right, most people probably heard of O Holy Night. If you haven't, you'll be able to listen to it in just a minute. Now, I want to give you a little bit of background uh, to this uh, Christmas carol because I think it's very, very interesting how uh, this carol came about, um, how God has used it through the years. And so uh, giving you this backstory, I think we'll paint a picture, and we're going to come back to this at the end of the message today. So um, what's interesting is there was a priest in Paris, France, who uh, knew a local poet, and he was also uh, a person who was a wine merchant. Uh, he was, his name was Placid Capot. And Placid uh, was known in his community for about kind of being a rebel rouser, but uh, he was also known as, as his fine and, and exquisite wine collection, and he purchased wine and sold to people and, and did all that. But he was also on the side of that, a poet, a wonderful poet. And so the priest, even, know, even knowing who he was and what his reputation was, that it was kind of tainted in the community, uh, that priest uh, went to Placid and said, I want you to write a poem I want you to write a, a poem about the uh, birth of Jesus Christ, about the birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God coming into the world. And so I want you to write a poem about that, do your best work, and, and, and then give that to me, and, and I'm going to use it for uh, Christmas at the church this year. And so Placid uh, put to words what we sing today as, Oh, Holy Night. But it was interesting because he didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He didn't really have a relationship with the church. He was just well known for his poetry within the community. But he knew enough about the, the Christmas story, obviously, to, to write the words that he did, which we'll hear in just a moment. He, the, the, the lyrics were so good, and the poem was so well done. The priest went back to him and said, I would really like to set this to music. Do you have anyone that could write a tune to go with this? And so he did. He had a friend. His friend's name was Adolf Adam. And Adolf Adam actually wrote the tune to O Holy Night. Well, fast forward. That was in the mid-1800s. Fast forward to... Christmas Eve 1906. On Christmas Eve 1906, there was a 33-year-old Canadian college professor by the name of Reginald Fessenden. Maybe you've heard of Reginald Fessenden because he is the one that invented the AM radio. 
He'd been toying with it for months and could never really get it, you know, to, to speak into a mic here and get it to uh, translate through radio waves over to here until Christmas Eve, interestingly enough, Christmas Eve, 1906. And the first song ever played on AM radio or any radio in the world was the song we're talking about today, Oh Holy Night. But before he played Oh Holy Night on the radio for the first time, he started that night by reading Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I'm going to share that with you now. This is what he read over the radio waves before he played the first song ever played. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. And he went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was great with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them. Scripture says that they were sore afraid. They were completely terrified with great fear. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people of the world. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign unto you. You will find that baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace on whom his favor rests. And after he read these words... He played on violin for the very first time the song, O Holy Night. And I want you to listen to the lyrics of this song and reflect on the song right now. Yonder praise a new and glorious morn. 
Christ was born. Oh, night divine. Oh, night. Oh, night divine. Truly he taught us to love one another, his law is love, and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave, is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we let all within us praise his glorious name. Christ is Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. His Thank you, appreciate that. Oh, holy night, oh, night divine. When the Son of God came into the world and was born a baby. Have any of you been around a childbirth? Has anyone here given birth or been around a childbirth? Would you describe it as divine and holy? And Isn't there another Christmas song, Silent Night? You know, was it a silent just real peaceful peace on earth and you know I, I was thinking back as I was thinking of this I mean truly it was a holy night I mean the son of God coming into the world obviously but I think sometimes we we lose in the translation what it was really like for for Mary and Joseph you know they were making that uh, that journey from Nazareth to uh, Bethlehem and most scholars believe that's about 80 to 120 miles somewhere uh, in that stretch there and if you think about it, it's one of those things to consider that whether she was riding on a, a donkey or whether she was walking, um, you know, all of gravity doing its work, when she got to Bethlehem, it was time to give birth to this child. And because of the, because of the census going on, all of the rooms and all of the, the inns and the hotels and everywhere in town were taken up, and so the only place for them to really um, have the child was out in the stable and to lay him in a manger, and you know how that story goes. But you have to imagine that the childbirth was just like it was for, for any of us. I was thinking back to uh, the birth of my first child, Madeline. Uh, we had anticipated Madeline coming into the world, and Madeline was late. You know, uh, she had a due date, and she missed her due date. And as a first-time dad, you know, I was like, okay, what's going to happen? I said, oh, we won't let her go a week past because your wife's 
you know, measuring like a 100-pound baby and, you know, 90-foot head. You know, we won't, we won't let her go. She's, she's very small, and so we'll, you know, we'll give her about a week, and if not, we'll smoke her out. And if you don't know what that means, they use this wonderful drug called Pitocin, and they give that to the mother, and it starts the contractions and starts that birthing process. And I remember my wife, bless her heart, uh, she walked forever. I mean, we were in Paonia, Colorado, living at the time, and she walked up and down the hills of Paonia, Colorado. I mean, that town isn't that big, but she walked every street, you know, miles, and, and just, just walked through the whole pregnancy, but especially there at the end, just trying to get gravity to do its work, and, and, and you know, the doctor kept advising her to keep walking, and I remember the um, day before Madeline was born, because we wanted her to come natural, you know, so bad, we went to a pumpkin patch, you know, it was early October, and we went uh, to a pumpkin patch there just outside of Paonia, and I hung out in the pumpkin patch, and, and you know, we, got, we bought our pumpkin and walked around, had fun, and I was ready to go. And, and Amy's like, we need, I need to walk, and this beats the streets of Paonia. We're walking. So we walked the pumpkin patch for a long time, and nothing ever happened. So the next morning, we have to be at the hospital at 6 a.m., uh, that's, that's when you have babies, is at 6 a.m., right? So we got up bright and early, and I had, you know, the baby carrier, and I had, you know, all of the supplies packed. I mean, we were ready to roll. We roll into Montrose Memorial Hospital. It's about a 45-minute drive from, from Paonia. We get in there, and they start the IV, and they start the, 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 the medicine, and, and she starts into labor. And I'm like, okay, this is great. We're going to, you know, meet our first child today. And it was so, so exciting for us as first-time parents. But then... Um, you know, I thought we were going to have this thing called an epidural, you know, and that, that just makes everything like a silent night and peace on earth <laughs> and goodwill toward men. Okay, so my wife, that was the plan, and my wife is doing great, and they're progressing, and uh, we've been doing it for about four or five hours. Contractions are coming real steady, and she starts, you know, she's starting to dilate, and it's like, okay, well, you know, it's time to do the epidural. The epidural doesn't take. I wait about two or three hours, can't adjust it, you know, so all right, set her back up, we're going to try this epidural again, doesn't take, so my wife is like completely natural, and we didn't have Madeline until like nine o'clock that night, so from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. on uh, the Pitocin medicine, it makes it, uh, uh, yeah, just, just really strong contractions, uh, you can imagine what that day was like as a first time dad not knowing what to do I remember being in the room and and Amy went through this period that was just horrible and I was like someone has to do something I mean I wanted to stop you know but I do want it to stop for her you know it's so like you know I remember going out in the hall and just finding the nearest nurse and not even our nurse I'm just like can you do something for my wife because she's dying in there in childbirth and I've never seen her like this, and she's crying, and she's contraction, throw up, contraction, throw up, and it's so intense, and she's in so much pain, and your epidural guy didn't work for us, and I'm like, come on, you know, this is terrible, horrible, you know, and it, I, you know, I'm, I'm just really struggling, she's struggling, you know, and uh, finally, you know, that night, we, we give birth to, help, to a healthy baby, Madeline, who's now 18 years old, which is crazy, but uh, yeah, but uh, I just, I'll never forget that, but I, I think of the Christmas story, and I think of what it would have been like there, you know, no epidural, no, no hospital room, you know, I, I don't know if Joseph was one of those really sensitive husbands as his wife's giving birth, or if he just stood outside the stable and crossed his arms, and it's like, babe, you're on your own, you know, I, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what to do here, if he, you know, could he give her a stick, you know, put this in your teeth and bite hard, honey, and push, you know, and, you know, there's, it just seems like chaos, but yeah, it was really, truly a, a holy night, oh, night divine, as the, the night that God's son came into the world. I want to focus in on a couple phrases of that song, and that's really what we're going to do through this, through this series. 
Because there's some wonderful uh, phrases in these Christmas carols that we sing that can really draw us in uh, to the Christmas story and, and really gives us meaning and purpose behind the music that we sing. I, I, I've, I've come under conviction of that over the last few years. When we sing worship songs and songs of praise and Christmas songs, we ought to think and reflect on the lyrics of what we are singing and paying attention to those. Because there's a couple phrases in this song that I think really could speak to us today. Do you remember the line in it that says, A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. You think about that for a minute, and you might be able to relate to part of that. So I think about our world today, and I think, yeah, the weary world. It is a weary world, isn't it? There's a lot of people that would come to church and say, yeah, that's, that's my world. The weary world. There's, there's pain and sorrow. There's maybe sin in my life. I'm suffering the consequences of some of my choices. Uh, some things that are just out of my control, health issues. There's, there's things going on out of my control with relationships in my life. There's, there's things that are, that are out of control in, in my finances and, and, and different things. And all of these things seem to pull at us in life. And, and if you were to describe just the world, um, and, and not just the you know, United States, but the entire earth today, I think we could all say, yeah, weary world. Yeah, weary world. That would, be, that would be a good term for that. It does seem like we live in a weary world. How does a weary world rejoice? Well, at the beginning of that phrase, it talks about this thrill of hope, which is the thrill of hope is that Christ is coming into the world. Now, if you were a Jew at that time, if you were a part of the, of the nation of Israel at that time, it may have meant something slightly different. Uh, a thrill of, of hope um, in, in, in this era at the time of Christ's birth meant that maybe the Roman occupation that was going on would be finally out of, out of the country and you'd be able, to, be able to rule yourselves again and have your own governance. It's, it's interesting because I think at that time they would have said the, wor the weary world rejoices and there's a thrill of hope because of Messiah, Messiah coming. If, if you were walking with the Lord all these years, then you would probably uh, know that, hey, if you heard that this baby's going to be born in Bethlehem and he's from the lineage of David and you started adding up all of the prophecies of the Old Testament, you would have a thrill of hope and say, hey, Messiah's come. The Messiah that we've been looking forward to for hundreds of years. That all of these prophecies had, had, had been put out about him was now coming into the world. How exciting would that be, that thrill of hope? That on the other side of that darkness of night and the weary world, that you could rejoice. And then on the other side of that, yonder breaks a new and glorious morn because the Son of God is here. The Son of God is coming into the world. We're going to be looking at a passage today that is not a traditional uh, Christmas passage. It comes from the book of Lamentations. So if you would, start searching in your Bible or open up the app and uh, turn with me to the book of Lamentations chapter 3. Let me give you a little bit of background while you're turning there to Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations is a book that most scholars believe is written by the prophet Jeremiah. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'll say, oh, there's a book, Jeremiah. He writes a whole book of prophecy. Yes. And then he writes this book called Lamentations because it is a book of lament. And that might not be a term that we use much nowadays. So let me explain what we mean by the word lament. If someone is lamenting something, it is almost a longing for things when they were good. 
for things as they were before. It leaves you with this longing about, I want it to be like it was before when life was good, when life was easy, when life was restored, when I felt like life was really good. And so he gets into this time period where he writes this book of lament. And let me paint the picture for you in case you don't know Israel history at that time. 586 B.C., just a few years before most scholars believe the book of Lamentations was written, there was the fall of Jerusalem. Fall of Jerusalem to the hand of the Babylonians, and the Babylonians had taken some of the people back to Babylon with them, had left some people uh, there in Israel and there around Jerusalem, but Jerusalem was laid to ruin. All the glory and splendor of that city of God was laid to ruin as they overtook it. And so the prophet Jeremiah begins with his book of Lamentations lamenting all that had happened. All the, all the destruction and all the pain and all the, the sorrow, longing for a day that was as it was before, or longing for a time in the future where things would be better. As we pick up in Lamentations chapter 3, um, before we get to verse 20, which is where our passage is going to be today, I want to read just, just several just individual verses from chapter 3 to paint a picture of what Jeremiah has been talking about and what he's been lamenting about and, and you know, almost complaining about it, almost whining about it, but not like whining like superficially, but, but really longing for a time that was easier in life. He said this, I'm the man who has seen affliction under the rod of wrath. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. My chains are heavy. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turns aside my steps and he tore me to pieces. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I've become the laughing stock of all peoples. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and has made me cower in ashes. Remember my affliction and my wanderings is what he says in verse 19. And then we get to our passage in verse 20. And what's amazing in this, this five chapters of this book of lament, right here in the middle, the prophet Jeremiah has this moment of great faith. This moment of great faith, this moment of clear vision, where he sees God for who he is, and he decides that I can get through all these things that I'm complaining about and all these situations and stuff. I can get through all of that through Christ. Listen to what he says in verse 20. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Some translations there say that my soul is downcast. Sadness, mourning, lamenting. This downcast is bowed down within me. In verse 21, but this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. Verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Right in the middle of all this complaining and all this lament about gravel in your teeth and you know, uh, arrows from a quiver being shot into your kidneys and, and all of these things. And it's been chapters, been a couple chapters of all of this lament. He finds this moment of faith, this moment that he frames up in his mind. I want us to think about today, 
the darkness of night, but the new and glorious morn that we can have because of Christ Jesus. And I want to share three thoughts with you about that this morning. A new and glorious day with Christ brings exactly what you need. If you have that relationship with Jesus Christ, if you call him Savior and Lord, and you lean into him in your time of need, in your time of mourning, in your time of pain, in your time of sorrow, in your time of stress, he is the one that will give you everything you need to make it through. Every new day in Christ will bring you exactly what you need. Look what it says in verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And the first part of verse 24 says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Do you know what that means? The Lord is my portion. It's, it's painting this picture. It's giving this idea that the Lord is the substance, and he is going to provide everything I need to make it. Everything I need to make it through in life. He's everything I need. Any need, he is my portion. Do I need food and water and shelter? He is my portion. Do I need some emotional help, some emotional stability as I go through a hard time? He is my portion. As I'm going through, through a relationship that's breaking up or a marriage that's crumbling and struggling or as I'm going through a situation in the workplace, he is my portion. Is what, he's, is, is what, is what Jeremiah says. And he says it from within him. He says, says my soul. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. And it doesn't matter what your situation is. It doesn't matter if you're weak. It doesn't matter if you're depressed, if you have anxiety over something, if you're overwhelmed, if you're sorrowful, if you're going through just a hard time, a bad day, if you're just feeling like your whole world is weary and you are growing weary of it, Remember that the Lord is your portion and he's going to provide everything you need because a new and glorious morn with Jesus Christ provides everything that you need because of his presence in your life. If you've accepted him as Lord and Savior, he's not far away. Though the devil would bring circumstances and situations and sinfulness into your life, it doesn't move Jesus any further away from you. His presence is still with you there every day. And because of that, you can have a new and glorious morn because he provides exactly what you need. And you'll find that out in the, in the moment where you're struggling the most. He is your portion. He is exactly what you need. But we've got to rem remind ourselves of that. We have to frame our mindset to think of him in all of those times the weary world is, 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 is just attacking us or on our doorstep. A new and glorious day with Christ brings exactly what you need. The second thing, a new and glorious day with Christ brings the hope to keep going. Look at verse 23. The hope to keep going. It says that the, new, the, the mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And verse 24 says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, what? Because of that, what? I will hope in him. The hope to keep going. The hope to go on with life. The hope to be able to face your weary world and your situation. Somebody said that you can go about 40 days without food before you would perish. You can go about 7 to 8 days without water before you would die. You can go about 4 minutes without air to breathe. But you can only go a few seconds. You can only live a few seconds without hope. 
And you think of people that take their life. They get to that point, I think. 100%. 100% of people that would take their life reach a moment where there is no hope. Doesn't matter what the circumstances are. Doesn't matter what brought them to that point. All the negativity of their weary world and all of their circumstances brings them to that moment where they have no hope. And when you have no hope, you will not last. But what are you hoping in? So many people try to hope in circumstances. Some hope in money. Some hope in just conditions in life. But didn't we just all admit and kind of nod our heads that it's a weary world? There's nothing in this world that will satisfy. There's nothing in this world to hope in except Jesus Christ. The Son of God was made Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. And He's with us through all of our weariness that we suffer and that we go through in this world. And so uh, the new and glorious day in Christ brings exactly what you need. It brings you a hope to keep going. And the third thing this morning is it brings the salvation that you're seeking. Wouldn't we all like to be saved? The salvation that Jeremiah and the Israelites were seeking for their weary world, for all that they had gone through, for the destruction of Jerusalem. And yet in this lament, he finds the truth. Look at verse 26. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Wait quietly. We're not very good at waiting quietly. It's not actually talking about silence there, but it's talking about waiting in such a way that we're just not constantly lamenting or crying out or whining to the Lord, but we can actually wait quietly because we're going to remember that God is in control. We're going to remember that God is sovereign over all. We're going to remember that God remembers us even in our time of need, even in our time of suffering. And because of that, the weary world can rejoice. And there will be a thrill of hope. And there will be a new and glorious morn because of Christ Jesus. It is good. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I thought about people that uh, waited uh, quietly in Scripture. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. You remember the story of a man named Lazarus? Actually died, completely died, was put into a tomb. When they rolled the rock of that tomb away, um, he'd been in there for four days. And the King James had even said, you know, because of the rotting of his body, it said that he stinketh. He stinketh. And yet what happens? That stone is rolled away, and he encounters Jesus. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus encounters Jesus and is literally brought back to life. There were some people that started hoping in Jesus then. Or do you remember the story of, of the woman? Do you remember the story of the woman that she had been bleeding for 12 years? Do you remember that? She had some, the Bible says, some issue of blood for 12 years. And she comes and she encounters Jesus and she's healed. She's able to go on and, and live a normal life without this issue of, of bleeding that she had. Do you remember the, the man at the pool of Bethsaida? Remember, it says, the scripture says that he had been there for 38 years. He had been born crippled from birth. 38 years, he had been at that pool. And he was waiting for some miracle. And Jesus comes by. And Jesus tells him, grab your mat and get up and walk. 
And after 38 years of being a crippled, he grabs his mat and he's completely healed and he walks. Do you think in these circumstances, when they encountered Jesus, there was this thrill of hope? That their weary world could maybe rejoice? Because on the other side of that dark night was a new and glorious morn. But what did all three of these people have in common? They had an encounter with Jesus. They got to meet the Savior. The baby that was born in Bethlehem came to them in flesh form. And I know some of you are like, man, I've been waiting four days. Some of you might be able to relate. I've been waiting 12 years. Some of you is like, it's been 38 years. And what does Scripture say? It is good for those who quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord because Jesus will save you. When you encounter him, it will change your life forever. And that darkness will come out and break out into a new and glorious morn. Now let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back and consider Placid Capot. Wrote a holy night. Placid Capot, I mean, if you, if you understand the lyrics to that song that we just heard earlier, he knew the Christmas story. He actually knew it really well. I mean, for, for a poet that, that, uh, that you know, wasn't involved in church and was kind of known as a scandalous guy in the community, it's pretty amazing that he writes, you know, that he can pen a poem, Oh Holy Night, with all of those lyrics, with all the, all the wonder and all, all of the, the things that tie into Scripture and all of the thoughts of what it would have been like. He knew about the Christmas story. He knew about Jesus the Son of God coming into the world. He knew what Jesus would even bring into the world. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. He knew all about Jesus. But he didn't know Jesus. As I read more about his life and, and found out all I could, it doesn't ever sound like he ever came to that saving faith in Jesus Christ. And we can't know that for sure, but as you read about his life and what he did, it doesn't seem like he ever came to that point. And it's amazing how God can use anyone, right? Oh, holy night. It makes me think, though, about us today. Because there's many of us sitting here today that, yeah, we know the Christmas story. I know about Jesus. I can tell you about shepherds. I can tell you about wise men. tell you about angels. I tell you all about the Christmas story. I know all about Jesus. But in the end, it doesn't matter that you know about Jesus. Because Scripture tells us even the demons know about Jesus and shudder. Why do they shudder? Because they don't accept Christ. They don't have the thrill of hope. Because they don't accept Him as Lord and Savior. It's not enough to know the Christmas story and to know about Jesus. We have to know Him. We have to have a relationship with him. We have to love him. And it's easy to do because he first loved us and that the God of the universe sends his son Jesus to take on the form of man. To be born in Bethlehem. To be placed in a manger so that we could have hope. Just like the song says, and maybe what you feel like you need today, a thrill of hope. Even the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. 
But what else does it say next? Do you remember the lyrics? Fall on your knees. Fall on your knees. Kneel at the Savior. Going back to Lamentations. It says in verse 25, The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. Are you seeking Him? Are you pursuing that relationship with Him? Because Jesus will give you such meaning and hope in life. And all you have to do is to call upon His name. To ask Him to come in your heart as your Lord and Savior. To be, to be buried in the watery grave of baptism. And the Scripture says that you're buried in that watery grave of baptism and you're raised to walk in newness of life. The symbolic washing away of sins, washing away of the past, washing away of all of those things that maybe make you weary, and being raised to walk in a new and glorious morn. We're going to sing a song here in a moment and just want to offer an invitation to you. If you're outside of Jesus Christ, if you want to learn how to take a next step with Him, or, or maybe perhaps uh, you just need prayer. You just need someone to talk to. Maybe, maybe you're stuck. Maybe your weary world just feels like it's collapsing around you. We're going to have elders and decision guides over here that would love to talk to you about that relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're one of those that, yeah, I've known Jesus, but I've walked away from Him. I'm not moving His direction in life. Come and talk to someone. Repent of your sins. Share that with someone. And let God... Bring back that hope and that restoration in him. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that you love us so much. And I thank you that truly, God, we can have a thrill of hope. That the weary world can rejoice and it's only by the power of Jesus that we can have some newness of life, that we can have a glorious morn. God, as we sing this song together, as we reflect on this passage from Lamentations, as we think about the song, O Holy Night, and through it all, Lord, we see your son being born, being born for us, being born on mission as a sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb for all of our sins. God, I pray that we would accept that free gift of grace and we could feel the love of Jesus in our heart and that could bring us the thrill of hope. God, we know it's the only balm to heal the weary world. So God, I pray that someone would accept that this morning. God, just continue to, to do your work in our mind and our hearts right now as we sing this song and we reflect on you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Let's sing this song together. And if you need to respond in any way, please come over here and talk to somebody about your relationship with the Christ child.